permaculture tonight. We've got Elaine Ingham on tonight. We've got a whole bunch of things to like get through, so let's start. So on our farm right now, we are done planting seeds for the most part. We've got almost two acres that are cut into swales, and we have mulch going down around trees. We have oh, hundreds of tomatoes that have gone in. It's gonna be really something else this year. I think we have over 20, maybe 30 varieties of tomatoes. I kinda of lost track after 20. And we've got new baby goats that we're raising right now. We have baby ch uh, little chicks right now and we have a few pullets. Uh, we've got all stages of bird. It's, you know, it's spring on a farm and it's rocking and rolling. The kids are having so much fun going outside. The real summer heat's starting to like seep in and at night it's no longer cold. It's just that like lukewarm feeling, which, you know, is, is always like disconcerting when it's, you know, it's June, the beginning of June, and it's no longer cool at night. It makes you think about what August is going to be like. And you know, in our area in California, people are really worried about this. Um, so much so that people are moving, farmers are selling their land, tearing up their trees, selling it to developers, which I don't know where these developers are planning on piping the water in from. Um, I think it's so ludicrous. I was at a party this weekend for a friend, his birthday party, and someone said, well, we can just pipe it in from somewhere else. There's always somewhere else to pipe it in from. And it was the, the most insane thing I had heard in a long time. Maybe because I don't go to parties very much. Uh, and most of the people I talk to are friends of mine like who are permies. And so it was just this engineer who was just convinced that you just needed to run pipes and the whole world would work just fine if there were just pipes up for everything. And that kind of thinking um, that you can just take from some and give to another and redistribute um, the ecological wealth just doesn't work. Um, nature just doesn't work that way. You don't um, redistribute, you find balance and equilibrium. I mean, that's quite different. Um, that doesn't imply that there's someone who's overseeing and redistributing. That's implying that the elements themselves find equilibrium and interplay between each other. Um, so that's what I'm essentially trying to do with the land on my property. I'm trying to create an ecological balance and ideas of piping things in and everything. I mean, even the fact that I irrigate the land is starting to bother me. Um, I can't wait until I won't have to do it. I have it, on, I have it automated this year so I get to kind of walk around and observe more instead of doing it all myself with my hand, walking around looking at everything. and. I don't know, maybe when you're watering, you're thinking about the plants more, but when you're not watering and watching the water, you notice the water more or something. But I've just been kind of freaked out about water. I've been going on people's properties, searching for an area to set up our school, and a lot of the conversations are revolving around water and sustainability and food production uh, when you no longer have access to food in the stores. So there's a lot of concerns out there. People are preparing. I think that we need to lead with nature. Um, I also uh, had this thought this week about permaculture energy um, and versus alternative energy. You know, permaculture energy is going to use the original uh, power plant and 
power network of the earth, which, you know, mycelium network is the internet of the earth um, that connects all the power stations. And the power stations happen to be trees. And so that's the way the planet works, is we literally, the sun powers everything. And we have all these little power stations that are plants, and they all interconnect and create this vibrant network of life, all based off of the sun's energy. So, um, and even, even, even stuff that doesn't need sunlight, that can grow without sunlight, indirectly got its energy from the sun. So I don't, I don't say we can live without the sun. That's silly. But anyway, um, I love this interview that I had with Elaine, and I think you're going to love it too. So let's just start it on now. have been introduced to permaculture in the past uh, two years, I feel like the information isn't in online. The information is sometimes not even books. It's stored in individuals like yourself that we, we're only going to get the information by accessing it through you and learning from you. Mm-hmm. And it's because by the time I sit down and analyze data and put it all together, write maybe a couple of scientific papers about it, um, that's two years after the experiment actually finished. And now I'm going to collate everything together and put it into a book. That's at least three more years. By the time I finish writing it, by the time it gets reviewed, by the time it gets on the publications list for the books, any book that comes out is five years out of date. It's so hard. And, and the thing is, it's, it, it's, a, it's a combination of things. It's the fact that we don't, as a society, give academics time. It's like, well, you've got to do that on the side as you do everything else. And so it becomes very difficult. But I'm glad that you do what you do. And it, and it makes it easier to get some of the more um, recent bits of information out to the world in general when I can put it up on Facebook and say, wow, here's the latest experiment. Look at the data. Well, here's the two tables that are really important for you to look at. And, and yeah, I can just verbally tell you that yields were higher and that the plants looked better and there were no weeds. I feel like that's yep. the Facebook crowd's level. They, that's what they want to know. And then, like the agrarians on there, they want to see the data. And then, you know, the people who have been doing permaculture or horticulture, they want to see they want to see the data. But almost everyone else, they just want to see that it works because they grew up. I mean, I grew up thinking that soil was dirt, just like you just like you said, you know, and it's been a revolution of and it's humbling, I think. When you realize what we're stepping on all the time and what are we killing by just walking across our own soil? You can't help but do it. Um, any place you want, anytime you put your hand on your table, you're killing things, you know? So I also have to laugh at those people who are, I don't want to kill anything in my life. Yeah, well, remember that last breath you just took? Yeah, you, you killed about half a million organisms when you did that. If you breathe, you're killing things. If you move, you're killing things. But does it also create? We're also leaving behind a whole lot of dead biomass, which is food for somebody else to eat. So 
So you, you just got to get into the fact that Mother Nature works in cycles. Um, I smoosh something, and that means there's more food for somebody else, and they happily grow and do their things until the next time I squish them. <laughs> you know, so didn't you have all those little voices? Ah! Because I clap my hands. And every time, every second that you sit in a place, you are dropping off of your body approximately a billion microorganisms that are collecting on the floor, on the table. They're just popping off your body every second that you're in existence. There are more microbial cells in your body than you have cells of yourself. So, yeah, we got to get this incredible knowledge out to everybody of just how dependent we are on the the web that we live in. Everything's connected. And I think the scope of that is humbling in 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 its its in in how it's built or how it's designed or how it is or how wherever how you wanted to say it. And I think do you think that's part of the reason why we simplified science for so long in this field of soil because it's too because to admit the complexity is also to admit our, our finite ability. Well, but you start trying to understand blood. Hmm. It's equally as complex. When you really get down to understanding human physiology, it's every bit as complex as trying to understand the, understand the physiology of the soil. So it's no worse than any other part of the real world that we're interacting and working with. Uh, try predicting weather patterns. Well, that's simple compared to understanding soil or understanding blood or understanding the mechanisms of how electricity works in your body. Yeah. They're complex and you've got to be remembering all of the potentially interacting factors. But in soil, the reason that we have been ignoring what's actually going on in soil is because we didn't have the methods. We really did not have the methodology worked out to be able to simply and easily look at all these sets of organisms all so, at the same time in all of the same samples and really having a, a really good way to look at them. So, so an, that's what I did for my PhD was oh. to basically come up with a simple methodology for being able to assess all of these different organisms all at the same time in a single sample. Wow. Yeah. So... It's not like we didn't know that bacteria and fungi and protozoa and nematodes were there, but a lot of the methods that were being used were indirect methods, like plate counts or like uh, the Solvita test. They're measuring a product of the activity of a limited set of the organisms. You can't look at the activity of all the organisms potential or what happened in the past what's the sum of everything that's going on you can't use that those approaches to tell you that because they look at who's respiring co2 right now and it's like if you put a big chamber over a city and you said well most of the co2 is being generated by the human beings well is that really true isn't most of the CO2 being generated by activities that human beings are doing, not actually by the CO2 being breathed out of your body? Right. All our heating systems and our air conditioning systems and our cooking facilities and the, the trucks and all of that, 
So would you really be able to correlate CO2 coming out of a city with the number of human beings that were in that city? Not possible, not even sort of. Um, and that's really like that something like the Solvita test or the Haney test. That's, that's what they're trying to do is look at the overall products of what bacteria and fungi, protozoa, nematodes, microarthropods, mycorrhizal fungi, the, you know, all those critters in the soil, a sum of everything that they're doing. And as soon as you go anaerobic, none of those tests give you any information that's even sort of useful if you drop into an anaerobic condition. But do they in any way assess whether you're in an aerobic or in an anaerobic environment? Not at all. So there's wow. a lot of data coming from those tests that are just absolutely wrong. Did we have the technology? Did we have the technology, though, and it was simply the methodology that needed to come? It was just the methodology. We had the technology since the time of Antony von Leeuwenhoek, the person who first discovered microorganisms using a microscope. Um, we've really had the, the technology since that time. Incredible. And if you go back into the scientific literature back around the 1890s, the, eight, the 1900s, the turn of the century from the 1800s to the 1900s, people were starting to develop these microscopic methods. They were realizing some of the problems and they were starting to use methods that were solving things. But then along comes the pesticide and the uh, inorganic fertilizer industries and their attitude is, oh, no, no, you don't have to know any of that stuff. You don't need to pay attention to that at all because we're got, we've got the things that will wipe out any disease, that will wipe out any problem that you've got. So, see, we don't, not, we don't have to understand how to combat them because we've got the nukes to take care of the problem. And then we've learned over the last you know, 75 years that, no, we're not killing all the bad guys. You use a pesticide, you're just selecting for the resistant ones. And guess what grows back? The resistant ones. So now that pesticide doesn't work. You put on inorganic fertilizers and you don't have a good food web, you're going to be leaching more and more and more of those inorganic fertilizers out of your soil. So you have to keep putting more of those inorganic fertilizers out, which means you're, we're destroying water quality faster and faster. It took the Roman Empire 2,000 years to destroy their soil. We've destroyed our soil in about 200. Wow. Which is, you know, the acceleration of technology. Maybe the good, the benefits from technology have been accrued, but we've been accumulating the negatives of that technology. And if you ignore those things, your civilization will fail. Period. Full stop. The evidence is there. David Montgomery's book on dirt, the um, fall of civilizations, documents that over and over and over again. So we have a choice. We can pay attention or we get to repeat history. So speaking of when you started developing your methodology, what was the breakthrough that, 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 that allowed you to see what you needed to do or allowed you to really fully understand how they were making mistakes you know what I mean mm. because one for my PhD work it was uh, the actual subject was to come up with a method for assessing the activity of the organisms in the soil and if you're trying to look at activity you what are you comparing it to 
Well, a logical thing to do is to compare it to the whole population. So how do you assess whether, you know, how much of the total fungal biomass is present? And we would need to know what portion of that is active. So you need to know the centimeters of active biomass versus the total. Mm-hmm. Because, boy, that can change overnight. The activity can change within 20 minutes, within three hours. It, it's going to most likely change and become different. Look at human beings again. Go back to the city example. 8 o'clock in the morning, how much human activity is there? <laughs> you know, 10 o'clock at night, how much human activity is there? Right. And it all depends on when you're taking those activity measurements. See, if you've measured the activity in Washington, D.C. At, at 3 a.m. in the morning, you're going to get a really different answer than if you go at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, Absolutely. Which one's truth? And, the, well, same, and the same thing with soil samples that get the extended periods of time between being tested. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, all of this, when we take soil chemistry samples, it's a snapshot in time. It will change a second later. Mm-hmm. Now we take a soil biology test and it very well could change a second later. So it all depends on you understanding when we take a sample at this time, what's the proper way to interpret it? So we had to have those total biomass assessments. And so I was delving through all the old literature going back into the 1800s, trying to find reports from people doing microscope work and trying to figure out what they were doing. And, you know, the reports of like uh, Juliet Franklin who was saying, we're missing all the ghost fungi in the soil. We're, um, we're not identifying them. These things can become active again. Uh, fungal hyphae grow at the tip. If they're growing into an area that there's no food, they can say, not enough food out there, so I'm going to turn and come back through the pipe and start growing off in a different direction. So the empty pipe is really important from a fungal organism's point of view. It's free passage back to a better place. Um, and we miss all of that if we don't use the appropriate technology. So starting to do the shadowing technique trying, um, on a microscope where you've got lots of money, a research grant or something, you can buy an epifluorescent differential interference contrast microscope, which at the time only cost about $45,000 for a single microscope to be able to do that kind of work. And so buying a microscope and realizing, okay, now I can finally answer my PhD question because I've got the right technology, the right methodology to do that. And then realizing that it wasn't just fungi that I could see using this approach. I can also count the bacteria. Oh, and the protozoa. Oh, and the nematodes and uh, the microarthropods. I, you can start to see all of them. Um, and you can assay if you have enough patience. You can assay their populations using that approach. Once you get beyond the uh, nematodes, you've got to look at so much sample material that it's not, it's not efficient to approach the question using a microscopic um, methodology. You go to larger extraction um, um, approaches, and then you collect everything that's from that pound of, of soil. You collect all the microorganisms or all the microarthropods, maybe even the nematodes from that whole pound. And then you count them and you identify species based on selecting a few of them, a representative sample to ID. 
And that's a much better approach for them than the way we're doing bacteria, fungi, protozoa, and nematodes. It's just that there's so many bacteria, there's so many fungi, so many protozoa in a healthy soil that you can look at small, small parts of that soil because if there are 600 million bacteria in a healthy soil per teaspoon, it's very easy to get representative samples and be able to give yourself a good count of that. Fungi the same way. There should be miles of fungal hyphae in a healthy soil. So very easy to assess whether you have a healthy soil or not. A typical healthy soil should have 50,000 protozoa. So still, there we can assess using these microscopic methods. Catch them all in the same sample and not have to do something different for bacteria and then assay in a different way for the fungal biomass and assay in a different way for the flagellates and assay in a different way for the amoebae and assay in a different way for the ciliates and for the rotifers and for the microarthropods and nematodes. And it takes you two or three months to get one sample of soil done when you're, when you're taking that approach. Wow. And so the methodology of combining them all into one sample. And so in every field you're looking for, you're looking for how many bacteria, how many strands of fungi, how many strands of actinobacteria, how many uh, flagellates, how many amoebae, how many uh, ciliates, how many rotifers, how many microarthropods wander through that field while you're staring at it. Wow. So much easier, much faster to assay for all of them at the same time. Yeah. So now, we're... Taking that, taking that kind of approach... You can't answer every question you might like to answer about those organisms taking that microscopic approach using a microscope. We cannot identify to species. So we're going to give you an idea of diversity, but we're not going to be able to tell you all one million species of bacteria that might be present in your ecosystem. We're going to have to do assays a different way to do DNA analysis and really come up with species diversity of your bacteria, your fungi, your protozoa, and nematodes. But we can tell you whether you've got decent numbers, decent biomass, and decent diversity by looking at morphology. Awesome. So you have a class that's coming up, and when you say we, it's an inclusive thing. Can you tell us about that before? I actually have another class coming, so I'm going to have to cut it short. But can you tell us about um, what people can do to join you on your mission to catalog soil, to share the knowledge of what our good soil should be, and what we can do to create good soils? Yeah, we the class is coming up in Ojai, so it's in a couple weeks in June, and the place to uh, look at that would be my website. It's on my calendar. It's uh, June 15 to the 19th. Um, the first two days are life in the soil, so we go through all these basic ideas um, and give you a lot of ideas how you can do on an individual basis, improving your dirt, turning it into soil so your plants grow better, so you don't have weeds, you don't have insect pests, you don't have to be putting out inorganic fertilizers or pesticides and your plants will grow better, typically, by getting Mother Nature back involved and get her working with you instead of you and Mother Nature starting to fight. Because, you know, in a fight between you and Mother Nature, who's going to win? Mother Nature. Mother Nature, every time. So stop fighting with her. Learn how to work with her. Um, so that's coming up in June. And then, of course, there's, um, you know, your permaculture um, 
websites that people ought to be checking up on because we uh, have uh, discussions about a lot of these points. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, not every day, but you know, every a month or two. Certainly, any questions coming up on your permaculture site, I try to monitor your site quite closely. And um, we love and, that. We really love that and appreciate that. And you also have an online course, right? That's ongoing. That's right. Yeah. So the online course is um, you take it as you need. So when we, the first time we run through any of the courses, we have a class and you can sign up and go through with that first group. And we will be having classes that go through together. But if, if you're not so much of a person who can assign, you know, I have an hour every Tuesday night to do this or, uh, you know, whatever the date, um, then you can do it on your own. We will give you a, the password for a year. And you work on the class all the way through. There, at the end of every lecture, there is a quiz for you to kind of test your knowledge, see whether you picked it all up. Um, and then, you know, we, we keep track of the quizzes and how you did. And at the end, you will get a certificate if you get a passing grade. That is amazing. And then there's a follow-up course to that that will allow you to open up your own branch of a food soil up testing lab? Right, so um, we have the, the first two days are, well, like at Ojai, the first two days will be life in the soil, and then the next day is about compost, and the next day is about compost tea, and the next day is life in the soil, the microscope class. Mm -hmm. You have to bring your own microscope. We want you to learn how to use your own microscope, and a lot of people will come with microscopes that can't be used for mm. this, so you, you get to you know now share with a neighbor or something. So you at least get the experience, experience, and you now know what kind of microscope to buy. Yeah. Um, the microscopes cost about three hundred and fifty dollars, mm -hmm. depending on whether you get a camera or not. So the non-camera, a little bit less expensive, because you can always just use your smartphone and hold your smartphone up to the eyepiece and take pictures that way. Yeah. You gotta have you know a, a piece, an attachment that holds the camera for you, or like in my case, I have very steady hands. And so I can just take pictures with my smartphone. Nice. Um, the online courses, we do exactly the same set of, um, of courses. You have to take all five courses, so Life in the Soil, Compost, Compost Tea, um, um, Introduction, four courses, sorry, um, Introduction to the Microscope. And once you've done that, then we want you to take on a property someplace and do the instructions that are in the courses actually do all of that work we want you to send all that information into my website and i will put it up on the website a success story wow and at that point you become a consultant amazing it's not that... like you have to pass another course or something it's the fact that you have performed this you've done it right you've had success get it up on the website so anybody in your state, going through my website, looking at success stories, goes, oh, look, this guy, Matt, he's just down the road for me. I should talk to him because you've done it. You've gone through and managed to have success. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Elaine, for coming today and talking to us. I can't wait to join you in one of your courses and learn directly from you. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. And I hope a lot of people that hear this get excited and take your course and start spreading the knowledge. Great. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank you. And I'll talk to you soon. Yep. Ciao. Bye.
right, that was the interview with Elaine. I loved talking to her. I wish that we had gone a little bit longer. The lunch break was cut short. Uh, the school principal got confused and sent all the kids back, so I had to shuffle, shuffle, shuffle to fit it in. But it was awesome, and we'll have her back again, of course, and um, I, I plan on taking her course and getting back to you guys on how it is and letting you guys know uh, wh how it's valuable in a day-to-day -day life and how it's valuable in a commercial setting. All right, well, that's our show for this time. Thank you so much for stopping by and listening, and I will talk to you soon. All right, have a great week. Bye. <laughs>